The following audio is from First Baptist Pelham in Pelham, Alabama. More information about First Baptist Pelham is available at fbcpelham.org. the 40th chapter of the book of Isaiah. And then we'll look at two related passages. I want to fix three verses in our mind as we begin today. Isaiah chapter 40 is the greatest chapter in the Bible on the doctrine of God. All Bible scholars basically would agree with that. It gives us words about his Uh, salvation, his sovereignty, his strength. When you read the 31 verses here, you'll see what I'm talking about. A wonderful, wonderful exposition of who God is and what God does. And if you know any verse in this chapter, you do remember verse 31. Here it is. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles, They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. A great promise in the Bible. But then the same book of the Bible, but not nearly as well known, but just as emphatic and just as important, is over almost the last chapter, two chapters from the end of Isaiah, chapter 64, verse 4. And I like the New International Translation of this verse. It says, since ancient times, that is as far back as we can remember, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts in behalf of those who wait for him. Don't let that verse slip by. One more time, since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts in behalf of those or him who waits for him. And then a testimony, Psalm 40, verse 1. The psalmist says, I waited patiently for the Lord. And he turned to me and heard my cry. You and I live in an era of instant gratification. We want what we want and we want it right now. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you who have hair the color of mine make and remember back when you had to wait for the Sears and Roebuck catalog to come before Christmas. And when it came, you'd sit there and flip through that old catalog and finally you'd get your order made and you'd put it in an envelope and put a stamp on it and mail it and three or four weeks later, it would get to where it's supposed to go and three or four weeks later, your order would come in the mail. Our forebears did just that. They shopped out of the Sears Roback catalog, and sometimes it would take two or three months. Today, 
You can decide what you want tonight, push a button, and tomorrow it'll be in your mailbox if you're ready to pay the express charges. We live in an era of instant gratification. We want what we want, and we want it now. Well, if you can't remember the Sears and Roebuck catalog, then some of you who still cook <laughs> can remember some of your old-timey recipes talked about simmering something all day long. Now, I want to ask you, how long has it been since you tasted anything that had been simmered all day long? We stick it in the microwave, zap it to it, and say, fill 40 seconds, I want it out here on my plate. What is that? Instant gratification. We want what we want, and we want it now. And not just that, parenting's the same way. When my wife and I decided we were going to have children, we had to wait nine months to know the sex of the child. Whether it was a boy or a girl, you had to have both names picked out. Now, you get pregnant one day and learn the next, what sex it is. Well, it's not quite that way, but it's almost that way. You can, in a matter of days, you can know whether you're going to be expecting a little boy or a little girl. Now, what are we saying? All of this is a commentary upon the fact we live in an era of instant gratification. However, I want you to remember, certain things are not that way. Certain things don't happen instantly. Here in the fall of the year, you'll be looking as I've already looked, and I begin to see the leaves change colors. We'll talk about that in a few Sundays. And when you see all these golden colors and autumn colors that come out on a giant oak tree somewhere, I want to tell you, that tree didn't get planted there last year. It takes years for an oak tree to become the canopy that it is and the beauty that it is. I remember several years ago, storms came through the Birmingham area, particularly over around the Birmingham Country Club, and giant oak trees were toppled over. And one perceptive builder said, you know, we can rebuild a house in a matter of months but it takes years to regrow a tree. And it does. It doesn't happen overnight. But certain skills are that way. Maybe you sat out there and you'd looked over here and you've seen Miss Mary play this piano and you'd say, I'd give anything in the world if I could play like that. Someone said that to Paderewski one time, the great pianist. I'd give anything to play like you. He said, would you give practicing eight hours a day for 20 years? Well, that's what it takes sometimes. Now, sometimes we look at skills and we think, well, if I could just do that. But it doesn't come that quickly. You break your leg or break your arm, you can go to the best doctor in Shelby County or Birmingham, Alabama, the finest orthopedist, and they can give you the best of medical care, but it ain't going to be well tomorrow. It ain't even going to be well next week. It's six weeks, maybe, you'll be able to take the cast off and be able to use that bone again. A broken bone doesn't get well with a snap of the finger. Discipleship's that way. Jesus said when the Great Commission, go into all the world and what? Make disciples. Listen, disciples are made, not born. No Christian has ever been born a disciple. You can be born again. I believe that. 
instantly you can become a Christian. Today, if you do not know Jesus, I promise you, if you will trust him, he will save you immediately and save you eternally. But you don't become a mature Christian overnight. It takes time. Now, what I'm saying in all of this is, I, for one, and I am the most impatient person in this room, so I'm preaching this to me as much as to anybody else. I don't like to wait on anything. If you ever see me in the drive through line, don't get it behind me. The slowest line is always the one I'm in. What I'm saying is God tries to teach me there, but I still haven't learned. What I'm saying is most of us learn, need to learn the discipline of waiting on God. And that's what I want us to look at this morning from the Bible right here. Four things quickly I'd like to fix in your mind about waiting on God. First of all, the what, W-H-A-T, the what of waiting. The word translated wait here in Isaiah 40, 31 is a Hebrew word. You can remember it's Q-A or K-A-V-A-H, kavah. It means literally to entwine, to twist, to double. Sometime if you've got a thread and you think it's not strong enough, you double the thread. You seem to know this. Sometime if you've got a rope and it's not strong enough, you can double it if you, and you thereby increase the power, the strength of it. If pulling a car with a chain uh, that's broken down, it may not be strong enough, so you double the chain. What are you do? You're increasing the strength, and that's exactly the word that's used here. It's a word that means that basically it does not mean passivity, doing nothing. You know, some people think they're waiting on God when they just fold their hands and say, I'm just waiting on God. When they shut their eyes, they sound more spiritual, you know. And I'm not being sarcastic. I'm just saying that's not waiting on God. When you knew a few months ago, Brother Mike was going to retire, you could have just said, well, Lord, you know, we're losing our preacher after 135 years. No, not quite that long. We're losing our preacher. He's been here for 35 years, and now we're losing him. We're going to wait on you, so you just close your eyes and say, Dear Lord, send us a preacher. That's not what it means. You, had to, you did a very good job. You selected a pastor search team, and then you begun to pray, and they began to work, and they began to write letters, and they began to listen to sermons, and begin to travel and interview people and talk to people, and across the process... All of this is not passivity. Waiting on God is not doing nothing. It's not just passively waiting. and let. But basically what it means is that we let God wrap around us our finiteness, his infiniteness, our limited knowledge, his unlimited knowledge, our limited strength, his unlimited strength. And through that, we learn what it means to wait on God. Now, especially is it hard for us because of our era, we want it and we want it now. The farmer is the best illustration I know of waiting on God. You know, some of you grew up in a farm. You plant the seed, but I promise you it's not going to come up tomorrow. Only God can make the rain come. Only God can make the sun shine. Only God can make the seeds germinate and grow. 
and thereby the farmer learns what it is to wait on God. Those of us who are Christians need to learn the same thing, that we learn to wait on God and let Him give us His strength, His wisdom, His timing, which is always best. But now that's the what of waiting. It means to double our strength by letting God envelop us with His power and His wisdom and His strength. But now, what about the why of waiting? In other words, why is God telling us at times to wait on Him? It's not just that God's trying to put us through the hoops to, to make us do something. There's a reason for it. Sometimes waiting on God purifies our motive. I've been known in my life to pray for the wrong thing, to ask for the wrong thing. You have too. You've done much praying. And sometimes through waiting on God and not getting impatient and not getting angry at God because we don't get it as soon as we ask Him for it, it purifies our motives and we learn what it is to have pure motives. Sometimes waiting on God increases our faith. I need that. I hope you do. That if I have to wait on God, I come to the point to recognize when it finally happens, I didn't do it. Only God did it. And we need that. I need that. You need that. You remember in the Bible when Joshua was fitting, fighting the battle of Jericho? God told him, march around that city. How many times? Seven times. Isn't that the silliest thing you've ever heard of? Almighty God to tell somebody you got to march around a city seven times. Now, I'm not making fun of God. I'm making fun of us. Had Joshua marched around one time and boom, the falls came tumbling down. Joshua been marching around and said, look what I did. Woo-wee. He didn't work that way. Two times, three, four, five, six, seven, finally. The walls came tumbling down and Joshua was aware of the fact only God could do something like that. So what I'm saying to you is sometimes it increases our faith. Again, our pastor was announced his retirement months ago. I think God could have sent you a pastor the next day. He didn't do that. Sometimes we have to get ready, not just find the right person, but the church itself to be ready for the person God sends, not somebody we've preconceived, this is who we want, but we want God's man. We want God's timing. We want to recognize whenever he gets here, and I believe there's a person God has for us, that we can't say, look what we did. You've got a wonderful committee. But at the bottom line, we're all dependent upon God. To find him, to lead him to us, and lead us to him, and we find it by waiting on God, just like Joshua waited till they marched around that city seven times. Sometimes waiting on God prepares us for God's plan. That is, we may think we know that we all need it right now, but God has a different plan than what we have. And God's plan is always best. And we wait on God and learn. The hardest reason that I know of Sometimes we wait on God and we're never told why. I hope you know what I'm talking about. If you've lived very long, if you've prayed very much, if you've sought the mind of God very much, you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes we never 
know why. You say, Charles, I don't understand that. Yeah, you do, if you had good parents like I did. I can remember as a little boy growing up right up here in Birmingham, my mother and dad, who were both wonderful Christians, are now in heaven. Times they would tell me to do something, <coughs> say, son, do this and give me the reason. Other times they would tell me to do something that I didn't understand. And as a little boy, <laughs> I would say, why? You ever done that? My mother particularly, my dad occasionally, and my mother very often, I would say, why? You know what she would say? Because I say so. And that settled it. Because I say so. And that's all the answer I ever got. That's all I ever needed. I knew not to ask any more questions after that. She was my mother. You know, I'm 12 years old. Why can't I have the keys to the family car? Because I say so. She didn't give me a lecture. You've got to have 16 years old. You've got to get your driver's license. got to go through training. Why can't I have the shotgun, Dad? He never told me all the reasons of safety and, and all that with a gun. He just said, because I say so. Now hear me. Good par- How many of you ever had your parents say that to you? Hold up your hand. Oh, that's almost unanimous. If you had a good parent, you heard that. Or if you were an inquisitive kid, you ever asked why. Now, what I'm saying is, sometimes God doesn't give us the reason, but as obedient children, we just say, Lord, you know best. I accept your word because you've told us in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. I like that. And my ways are better than your ways. So wait on God. It's always best. Well, there's the what of it, that God wraps his strength around ours. Here's the why. But now, how do we wait on God? What about the how? It won't take long to look at this. The how of waiting on God is First of all, let's wait quietly, silently. Sometimes people call themselves waiting on God and they're weird grumbling and complaining. Why didn't God send us a preacher so we can get rid of Carter? Why don't we get somebody? Lord, do you know how long it's been? They call that waiting on God. No, 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 friend. That's just acting arrogantly and noisily. Sometimes, you know what the Bible says? Be still and know that I am who? God. We need that. And sometimes we need to wait quietly, silently. Just learn to keep your trap shut. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you could say is nothing. Just wait on God. And to wait not just quietly but patiently. Listen to what the psalmist said. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined his ear to me. God's not hard of hearing. God's not deaf. You don't have to scream at God, and you don't have to filibuster heaven. All you've got to do is ask. God's there. And his ear is attuned to what you and I need. God knows what we need before we ask him, and God wants to give us what's best for his glory and for our well-being. And so we wait patiently. Sometimes we wait courageously. Listen to me carefully. Sometimes it takes more courage to wait than it does to act. 
I'm told that the astronauts who used to fly these spacecraft off into outer space, part of their training was that they were taught and trained for months before they ever got in a spacecraft. As long as the spaceship is flying, moving, don't do anything. On Apollo 12, you may remember, there were some problems developed right off, right after the launch, and lights were turning orange and red, they later said, and the inclination had been, let's do something. But it takes a lot of courage to remember your training. Unless, as long as it's flying, don't do anything. And they quietly, patiently let the computer correct itself, and they ended up with a successful mission. Sometime, the most spiritual thing you can do is nothing. Just wait on God and not take things. So many times we get in trouble because we get impatient. We take things in our own hands. You want a good Bible illustration of that? We'll look at him in a moment as an illustration of somebody who waited on God, but Abraham. Remember, Abraham was told that he, he and his wife were going to have a baby later in years. And Abraham, I can just imagine him saying, you know, God, after he'd waited and waited and waited, God, you're God, and here I am, a red-blooded man. Lord, you don't know about the birds and bees. You don't know about sex. So he took things in his own hand, got him a concubine, prostitute, Hagar. We're given her name. They had a baby. And God, Abraham, can you just see him marching before God? Lord, look at here. Here's Ishmael. God says, no. It's my way or no way. And finally, not according to the flesh, but in fulfillment of promise, Isaac is born, the child that God had promised. What am I saying? Sometimes it takes more courage to wait than it does to act. And sometimes we need to wait confidently. That is, like the writer of uh, Isaiah says in chapter 64, since as long as I can remember, no ears heard, no ears perceived, no eyes seen, any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for you. Now, dear friend, that is true or it's not true. And if it's true, and I believe with all my heart that it is, then confidently. We're not just hoping one day we're going to get a pastor. We know that it's coming. You don't have to just guess that maybe one day it's going to happen. Confidently, we can thank God in advance for what he's going to do. Quickly, though, we've looked at the why, of the what, of waiting. God wraps his strength around ours and gives us his wisdom and his ability. We've noticed the why of waiting. We notice here the why, the what. Now look at me, with, look with me, if you will, quickly at the who of waiting. We see these other things. What about the who of waiting? And what I'm talking about here is Sometimes we're encouraged when we're told to wait on God by people who have waited on God. We can be encouraged by an example like this or like someone said, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I know what you mean. But there are times in the Bible when we can see 
a sermon of waiting on God. Go all the way back to the Old Testament, the book of Genesis. After Adam and Eve's story, the next most prominent name on the pages of Genesis is Noah. And you remember what God said. Noah, I want you to build a boat. And when he begins to give the dimensions of that boat, far bigger than anything that had ever been built in that day and time, nobody had ever had, had any boat like that, much less they had no need for it. Can you imagine that people laughed Noah out of town? Oh, you're crazy. Oh, Noah's gone off the deep end. No, Noah's got religion. He thinks God told him to do this. <clears throat> Noah waited 120 years. And then it began to get cloudy. And then it began to rain and rain and rain and rain. And those people who laughed at Noah probably came knocking on the door, let us in, let us in. God shut the door. What? Noah knew what it was to listen, to wait on God, even when it took God 120 years to send that flood. Noah was there ready when the rain began to fall. I've already mentioned Abraham. I didn't tell you before all this, when he got busy and got Hagar, he was 75 years old in his homeland. Now, at 75 years of, how many of you are 75 or older? Hold up your hand if you can get it up. All right? <laughs> Few folks. Now, when you get that age, I'm, I'm in that category. The one thing we don't like, C-H-A-N-G-E, what? Change. And God said to Abraham, Abraham, you're gonna to have to change. Lord, what do you mean? I want you to go into another land. Lord, what are you talking? I want you to go to another land. Then God said, by the way, Abraham, you need to go build a house near a school. A school, Lord, I'm 75 years old. I'm not going to have any more kids. God said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you with a son. A son? And he says, the Bible tells us Abraham left and made a change even when he was 75 and he gets over to, out of Ur of the Chaldees, over to where God sent him. And when he gets there, it doesn't happen. As I mentioned a moment ago, he took things in his own hand. God said no. And finally, when Abraham is 100 years old, his wife Sarah is 90. Woo! By the way, ladies, that's the only lady in the Bible whose age is told. No other woman. I guess when you get to be 90, you don't care. Especially if you're pregnant. <laughs> Here she is, 90 years old, husband's 100. God acts, and Isaac is born. Now what did they do? They waited on God. Abraham got a little impatient, and God didn't give up on him. They waited, and it came. Moses called to be the great liberator of the children of Israel. They're over, the, he's out here and God calls him. He gives all the excuses why I can't do it. God said, you can. And when he finally accepts, you know what he did? God put him on the backside of the desert 40 years. Oh, I can't imagine. I'd have been kicking and screaming all through those years. 
We don't know what happened to Moses during that time. He's just over there. God's preparing him. He's waiting on God. God's preparing him to be the leader. Forty years before Moses came, led the people out of bondage, and got the Ten Commandments off of Mount Sinai and became the man of God that he was. The Apostle Paul, after he's converted on the Damascus Road, it says he went away into Arabia. That's what we write in the book of Acts. That's all we're told. I've written in the margin of my Bible to be alone with God. I think that's what he did. Three years after he was saved, we don't hear anything. He didn't write a letter. He didn't found a church. He didn't do anything. He's in the backside of the desert. Three years before God used him to write half of our New Testament. Was it worth waiting? Paul would say, oh yes. I'm so glad I let God call the time shot. But then look at that our greatest example of all, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's our role model in everything. Born of a virgin, doesn't show up again till he's 12 years old, and only one instance there in Luke chapter 2 at the temple. He passes off the scene again, and we don't know anything until he's 30 years old. And his ministry only lasted, how long? About three years. Now here's the Lord himself waiting 30 years to do a three-year ministry. They that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength, and he certainly is exhibit A of that. But not just in the Bible. Sometimes people say, oh, God was more exciting back then than he is now. Don't you believe it for a minute, dear friend. God is just as exciting today if we'll just let him be. Sometimes we don't want to let him be. But he is, I promise you. We're going to be talking in just a few months, a few days, about our world mission offering and our world mission efforts. Lottie Moon, the founder of the modern missionary movement, was a wonderful Baptist missionary by the name of William Carey. He went out to India. He got there in 1793. Now listen. Seven years he ministered and preached and taught without one single convert. Seven years. I, I can't imagine. I want things to happen in your church, in my church. Every Sunday, I like to see people saved, people move their membership, people come and pray, people rededicate. Seven years, nothing. And finally, between Christmas and New Year's, 1800, a father and a son were won to Christ by the minister William Carey. Can you imagine waiting that long for just one person? But then after that, in the next few years, 15,000 people were led to faith in Christ. Aren't you glad he waited? Waiting for God. Just a few years ago, you may remember reading in the paper, the former Soviet Union got its freedom. That happened in October and the following spring, the Foreign Mission Board, the International Mission Board today, asked me if I would go to the Soviet Union and preach for three weeks in seven different cities. I don't know how I was selected. I have no idea. I didn't know the people who asked me to go, but I worked things out to go. 
And for three weeks, I preached in these seven cities. While I was doing that, the choir of the First Baptist Church of Minsk, M-I-N-S-K, took their vacation time and on a bus, we went all over that area, different cities, and where they'd never had religious freedom, never had any evangelistic crusades like we had. It was amazing. I'll tell you some stories about it sometime. But the last night I was there, I went home with the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Minsk. His name was Constantine. And I stayed up till 2 o'clock in the morning listening to him tell me how God had answered prayer. And I will never forget one statement he made to me. That night in a large arena there in Minsk, over 2 million people in the city, he had the only Baptist church. And he said to me, Dr. Carter, I've waited a lifetime to see what I saw tonight. 807 people made first-time professions of faith in Christ in Minsk, Russia. And this man had been there all of his life. I was there one service. And God acted. And many people, hundreds were gloriously saved. I've waited a lifetime to see what I saw tonight. Dear friend, I want to challenge you and I challenge my own heart that we learn what it is to wait on God. Remember this, God is always on time. Never early and never late. God is always right on time. Will you bow together with us for just a moment? If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I want you to know God never tells you to wait and be saved. It's always come now, come now, come now. And I would invite you this morning to come now to Christ. Right now, make up your mind. God never tells you to wait. But for all of us who are Christians, he does tell us, wait on him. Heavenly Father, so many times in life, I have been impatient, and you have patiently waited for me to get my will bent to yours and to wait on you. Lord, I pray you'll increase my patience and help us as a church to learn the value of waiting on a God who is always on time, never early, never late. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand together with us? And as we do, follow the leaders in our hymn. Our staff will meet you right here at the front as you come. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about First Baptist Pelham and other free resources like this one, log on to fbcpelham.org.